So today, we're finishing up Psalm 78. We'll be starting in verse 56. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God, and did not keep His testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow, for they provoked Him to anger with their high places. They moved Him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, He was full of wrath, and He utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind, and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men, and their young women had no marriage song. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine. And he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. God, your word calls us into your presence today. The circumstances of this world, everything that's going on around us, calls us into your presence. We thank you today that, that you are there, you are with us, you care. You're drawing us to yourself today. We wanna thank you for the opportunity to turn our total attention to nothing but worshiping you now, God. We do that gladly as we open your word. We apply your word to our life. And God, as we do that, may your holiness change us to be more like you. May your holiness draw us to be the person that you have called us to be and created us to be. Make us in your likeness as we continue to worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to open your Bible with me to Psalm 78 as we... As we wrap up this psalm today, God willing, I'm, I'm sure many of you are aware that we're in a series moving toward Thanksgiving uh, through book three of the psalms. Two years ago, we spent about half the year looking at book one. Last year, we spent about half the year looking at book two. And this year, we're moving between now and Thanksgiving to wrap up book three of the Psalms. I love the Psalms. I love the Psalms for so many reasons. One reason is that the Psalms are so real. Uh, they, they, they pull us into real life, real emotions, real songs of the soul. Some of the Psalms are joyful and uplifting. Some Psalms are painful and challenging. And we continue our journey today with the last part of Psalm 78. We looked at the first two parts in the last two weeks, and we pick up with the third part today. A few years ago, Gail and I had the blessed privilege of visiting the Holy Land. Uh, 
right where this psalm was set. Um, and if, it was a life experience for us. Our, our visit came with the luxury of a bus driver who uh, chauffeured us around different sites in Israel. And we had, uh, we had a guide who explained different sites and different events that happened according to Bible history. Then three years ago, <clears throat> we joined our kids and their spouses for a visit to the Grand Canyon. And a highlight of our trip to the Grand Canyon was taking a pink Jeep tour of a portion of the canyon. Our driver that day, late in the evening, was our guide for that part of the journey. His knowledge and experience of the canyon helped us enjoy aspects of the beauty of the kingdom that we would have probably missed had we been on our own. For example, late in the afternoon... Just as the sun was going on, he carried us to a spot where very few people were, looking out over the massiveness of the beautiful sunset that took place there in the Grand Canyon. Guides are extremely helpful when we are navigating parts of life where we are unfamiliar. They help us stay safe. They help us pick up on extremely important things that we might miss otherwise. Guides help us stay safe when we're going through places that we are uncertain about. Much of the spirit and the language of the Bible is expressed in what I call shepherd language or shepherd culture. <clears throat> the word sheep and shepherd are mentioned more than 500 times in the Bible. 16 books of the Bible refer to God as our shepherd. As you know, a primary function of a shepherd is to guide sheep to safety, to nurture sheep, to feed sheep, to encourage sheep, to lead sheep to shelter and safe places. And the Psalms are filled with shepherd metaphors, and Psalm 78 is no different. Where is God, the psalmist asks. Where is God when life is tough? Where is God when circumstances are difficult? Where is God in the difficult days of history? So not only was the psalmist asking that question, I'm sure many people are asking that same question today. And the answer is the same today as it was thousands of years ago. God is shepherding those who will follow Him. God is leading those who will follow them to His sanctuary. And Psalm 78 takes us on this journey. So let's continue the journey with your Bible open to Psalm 78. Last week we left off in verse 55 where there was a great celebration for the faithfulness of God fighting for His chosen people and favoring them and leading them into His promised land. Despite their failures, He was faithful. And He led them into the, the promised land. But even after occupying the land, under God's miraculous and faithful hand, the heart of God's people still turned away from Him. How sad. 
And so we see today as we wrap up this psalm that God guides in three different directions. So let's look at those directions. First of all, in verses 56 to 58, we see that God guides away from sin. Now that should be obvious. As you know, God is perfect. God is holy. God is sinless. He's never sinned. And so if we're going to follow him, we're going to follow him away from sin. Asaph, the writer of this psalm, summarized the history of Joshua and Judges, the two books of the Old Testament, in these three verses, verses 56 through 58. Look at it. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep His testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow. In other words, they were not dependable. They couldn't be trusted. Not dependable. Verse 58, they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. We talked about last week the fact that a key definition of sin is rebellion against God. And that's exactly what Israel did. God's people tested and rebelled against him. They turned away from him, the Bible says. They acted treacherously toward God. And ultimately, they even placed idols above their relationship with God. So what makes idolatry so dangerous? In his book, The Songs of Jesus, modern-day pastor Kim- Timothy Keller points out that, and I quote, the epitome of failure is turning from the living God to worship idols. Idolatry is foundational to what is wrong with the human race. Now that's a strong statement. Idolatry is foundational to what is wrong with the human race. So what are we talking about when we talk about idolatry? If you look at Romans chapter 1, you'll see that thousands of years later, the same identical picture is painted by The Apostle Paul in his letter to Rome. And I wonder where we stand today. I wonder where we stand today with reference to idolatry. See, anything that is functionally more important in your life than God is an idol. I'm not talking about what you say. I'm talking about what you do. Your actions. Anything you demonstrate that you love more than God, even good things like our spouse or our child or a social cause or a job or a recreational hobby, anything that you love more than God in practice is a false god, is an idol. Until you can identify your idols, you can't even understand your own heart. And until you turn away from your idols, you cannot know and walk with God. God guides those who will repent of our sin and turn back to Him. 
So let me talk a minute about repentance. What, what do we mean by repentance? Well, first of all, repentance is more than just feeling sorry for your sin. It's more than getting caught and being sorry for the consequences of your sin. Repentance is more than even admitting your error. Repentance is literally turning away from the direction that you're heading. Turning away from the direction that you're heading in sin. Turning away from what you're putting as the priority of your life. And turning to God and making Him the priority of your life. That's what we're talking about when we talk about repentance. So are you willing today... To repent and turn to God? Are you willing to repent of testing God and rebelling against His commandments like the Israelites were doing? Are you willing to repent of abandoning God and turn and sell out totally to Him? Are you willing to repent of not being trustworthy? Like a bent bow. Repent of that. Say God. I want to know you. I want to live in relationship with you. I want you to use me. To change the culture. Around my circle of influence. In this world. See God knows your heart. He knows whether you are faithful to him. Or not. He knows whether you know him or not, and you know as well. So God is faithfully guiding you to turn away from your sin and turn to him. And I pray that that will be the story of your life today because God guides away from sin. Secondly, God guides away from unholy places. We see this in verses 59 to 64. From a historical standpoint, Shiloh had been the center of worship since the days of Joshua in the the nation of Israel. For generations, Shiloh had been the place where the Ark of the Covenant dwelt and where God lived among His people and ministered to His people. But because of Israel's rebellion, His sanctuary at Shiloh, the psalmist reminds was abandoned by God. You can read this story in the first four chapters of the book of 1 Samuel. If you think the Bible's boring, I dare you to turn and read 1 Samuel chapters, chapters 1 through 4. You'll see one of the most fascinating and yet one of the saddest stories in all of history. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 12, in my opinion, we find one of the saddest Two sentences in all of history. 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know God. There's nothing any sadder than that in the world. To have God say about you that you're worthless. 
And the reason for that being that you have chosen to separate your life from Him. You've chosen not to know Him. See, Eli lost his leadership position because he did not lead his family well. It caused him, first of all, to lose his honor with God. Secondly, it caused him to lose respect from his family. Thirdly, it caused him to lose respect from the nation that he was supposed to be standing between man and God and representing God to man and representing man to God. That was his role. That was his leadership responsibility. And he failed. And ultimately, it cost him his life. One of the most serious, sad stories in all of life. But that not only became the story of Eli, it became the story of Israel, the whole nation. The, the speed of a leader, the speed of the team. We hear that a lot in athletics. It's so true in business. It's so true in church, in the church world. Eli failed. And it started with failing to lead his family well. You have a responsibility, first of all, to lead yourself in your relationship with God. And then if you have a family, you're responsible for leading your spouse. You're responsible for leading your family. You're responsible for leading your business. Any touch point that you have in culture, if you're a believer, if you're a child of God, you have a wonderful privilege but an awesome responsibility to lead whatever circle of influence you have to put God first in your life. In verse 59, when God heard he was full of wrath and he utterly rejected Israel, he forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind, he delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the land of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men, and their young women had no marriage song. Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Now again, this stanza of this psalm of Asaph is a summary of the first four chapters of 1 Samuel. God used Israel's enemies to judge His people. And those who had viewed the Ark of the Covenant as a magic wand were greatly disappointed. See, in the middle of the battle, you read in 1 Samuel, in the middle of the battle, 5,000 Israeli soldiers were sadly killed. The elders asked, why? What is going on? What's the problem? And they determined that the presence of God was not with them, and so they sent to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the battle, thinking that it was a magic wand. There was no power in it, because the heart of God's people had abandoned Him. And 25,000 more soldiers lost their lives because of the infidelity, the unfaithfulness of God's people. We know what it's like to feel sadness of losing soldiers, don't we? I mean, we're talking about real lives of real people who lost it 
because leadership failed. And God's people failed to uphold their responsibility. Church, do you hear the wake-up call from God today? We have the privilege of walking with God in relationship with Him. And then the responsibility to lead those in our circles of influence. Challenge them in their sin. Eli's two sons were guilty of adultery. They were, they were, they were violating the temple of God. Taking advantage of servants who were serving the temple of God. They were violating the basic principles. The commandments that God had laid down. And it cost God's people severely. When Eli's two sons were killed in battle, which is referred to in this psalm, the news came to Eli, and when he heard it, he fainted. When he fell over, he hit his head on a rock and died. His daughter-in-law, Phineas, the priest's wife, was pregnant. And when she heard the news that her brother-in-law and husband and father-in-law had died. She gave birth to a child. This psalm points out the fact that when she gave birth to the, to the child, there was, there was no celebration at all. Because God's people had fallen under God's judgment. And she named the son that was born Ichabod. Because the glory of God had departed from Israel. It's what Ichabod means. The glory has departed. Spiritual half-heartedness is nauseating to God. In Revelation, the last book in the New Testament, chapter 3, the first three chapters are letters to the churches that were supposed to be representing God in the world in their century. In Revelation chapter 3, the church at Laodicea has indictment against them that they were neither cold nor hot. And the Bible says it made God sick. It made God vomit. I will spew you out of my mouth because you're neither cold nor hot. Half-hearted allegiance to God is nauseating to God. Now there are at least three lessons, there are hundreds that we could pull out of this passage, but there are at least three lessons of this stanza that I don't want us to miss. Number one, sin is serious. That's why I'm point number one. I reminded us that God guides away from sin. Sin separates us from God. That's what's so serious about sin. And life without God is no life at all. Life with God is life in totality. Secondly, leading a family is serious. We mentioned last week, if you're here and you have children... We want to offer you a family devotion guide. We have a little book that we can give 52 weeks in the year. You can take your family through uh, daily devotions that point them toward making God the king of life and abandoning idols to turn totally to God. 
If you haven't picked one of those up, see Morgan or Kyle after the service today and pick one of those little worship guides up. Because leading a family is serious. There are consequences to not calling family members to a life of righteousness and holiness. And thirdly, nothing is better. Here's the positive. Nothing is better than breaking the cycle of sin and establishing total submission to keeping all of God's testimony. See, God is standing with His arms open wide to receive us, and it starts with our personal relationship with Him. So why were the sons of Eli worthless? Well, they were worthless because they did not know God. There's no excuse. There's no excuse for not knowing God and walking in relationship with Him. You know whether you know Him. You know whether you have made a personal relationship and established that relationship with God and you wake up every morning saying, God, here I am. Thank you for your love and mercy and grace for making me one of your children. Use me for your glory. That's what life is really all about. And you know whether you know that life or not. And if you don't, I pray that today will be the day where you turn away from doing life your way and turn to doing all of life about Him. Because when the presence of God departed shallow, the people felt it. They knew it. And if the presence of God is not in your life, you know it. You know it. So run to Him today. Come out of that grave of deadness and run into life with Him. But sadly, the sin of Israel had become so familiar that they had lost their sense of conviction. So make sure today that you know Him personally, that you know Him intimately, and that your heart's desire is to put Him on the highest throne of your life. Because sin is serious, and you're responsible for leading your life well. You are. So make sure that you're leading whatever circle of influence you have, beginning with yourself well. It starts with leading yourself and then leading others and then leading your family and then leading leaders and leading organizations and leading in the kingdom. Whatever circle of influence God has given you, I pray that you'll join me in leading that well. God guides away from sin and God guides away from unholy places. He's not going to hang out where it's unholy. Just know that. And finally and ultimately, God guides by anointing leaders. He hasn't left us in a hopeless situation. He's given us hope. And Psalm 78 ends up on this high note. So despite the disobedience, God built His temple and reestablished relationship with His people. First of all, in verses 65 and 66, God fought the battles for His people Then the Lord awoke from sleep, as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine. He put his adversaries to rout and put them to everlasting shame. Now here's the real deal. God doesn't sleep. God doesn't slumber. Asaph knew that. He was using a metaphor 
He says, as from sleep and like a strong man. God may seem far away, but it's because of us, because of our action, because of our attitude. He's as close as our next prayer. If we're sincere about repenting from idols in our life and turning totally to Him. God fought the battle for His people. Anytime things are going really bad and God seems far away, in reality, all you need to do is turn back to Him. Repent and turn to Him. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. You'll find. Because God knows and God cares. And He knows the sincerity of your heart. And when your heart is to put Him first, then He can be found. God moves to holy places. And that can be your heart. And we're going to tell you how to get there in just a moment. But thirdly, God chose Jerusalem, Mount Zion, as His holy place. Look at verse 67. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. But He chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which He loves. He built His sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which He has founded forever. See, the beautiful part of God's story in this world, God's story in our history, is He's not finished yet. He's established His throne on Mount Zion. And one day, Jesus is coming back again to set up His throne here on this earth. Randy Alcorn's written a wonderful book. If you have a year to just read, it's like a catalog, but it's a wonderful book about heaven. In fact, the title of it is Heaven. And he describes biblically how one day God is going to come back. Jesus is going to set up His throne in Jerusalem and reign from Mount Zion. And if you're a follower of His, you're going to be a part of that party. You're going to be a part of that wonderful celebration. He founded His sanctuary forever. Forever is a long time. And God chose His leader. Look at verse 7. He chose David, His servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, His people, Israel, His inheritance. In Hebrew culture, one of the lowest forms of employment was being a shepherd. Shepherds dealt with dirty things, nasty things, unholy kinds of things in the eyes of the law, the Levitical law. But God took a shepherd boy, the least in his family, and raised David to be the king of Israel. But that's, that's not the end of the story either. David failed. The two dozen or so successors of David after he died failed to lead Israel back to God. But God wasn't finished yet. 
Why did Jesus have to come to the earth? Well, Jesus had to come to the earth because this is what the psalmist is talking about here. Look at verse 72. With upright heart, He, God, shepherded them and guided them with His skillful hand. God came to earth and lived as one of us. He lived as a man. A real man. He felt pain. He felt torture. He felt hunger. He felt discouragement. He felt every emotion that you and I could possibly feel. And he lived without sin so he could, come, he could become the perfect sacrifice for your sin and my sin. So he could redeem us, buy us back, bring us back to himself. With upright heart. There's that language there. He shepherded them. He guided them with a skillful hand. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. I want you to look at that verse. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. The Bible says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, God is at work today, putting His family back together. When, When Jesus the Savior was born. You were delivered from the sin that separates you from God. He's offering you that gift. In the fullness of time, that's now. Now. You can come to God on His terms because Jesus has become the sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sin. And God guides by anointing leaders, and Jesus was that perfect leader. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a few minutes. We're going to, today's service is created so you can literally participate in this service. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes, and just let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart today. Where is God? Well, God is the good shepherd. He's guiding you to give your heart to Him. And if you haven't done that today, I pray that you'll let this be the day when you pray in your heart sincerely and say, God, I admit I'm a sinner and I want to repent of my sin and turn away from it and I want to, I want to believe Believe that you died to become my Savior, to become my sanctuary. And right now I give my heart to you. If you're a believer here today and your heart has drifted away from God, repent. Turn back to Him. Where's God? He's fighting for your heart, He's guiding you to His sanctuary. Where's God? He's he's guiding you to communion. To have fellowship with Him right now. 
Come to Him. Present yourself to Him. Worship Him right now. invite you to join us now as we continue to worship and invite you to take your communion set and take the bread and hold it in one hand and the cup and hold it in another hand. And remember, our, our prayer today is that God will give us clean hands and pure hearts, that we will, will not just be looking at the Lord's Supper or communion as many of the children of Israel did with the Ark of the Covenant. Something that is not sincere. Something that is without weight. I want to ask you to do four things with me right now as we hold the bread in one hand and the cup in the other hand. And if you would just focus on the bread representing the body of Jesus and the cup representing the blood that He shed for you. He invites us to do at least four things right now before we take communion. One is self-examination. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, Let every person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So would you be willing today to say, God... Examine my heart. Point out anything that might be in my heart that sets me apart from you, that separates me from you. And then secondly, as he points out what sin may be in our heart, 1 John 1.9 invites us to confession. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So take a moment and just confess as God examines our heart and points out sin that might be standing between us and Him. We want to stand before Him today with clean hands and a pure heart. And the only way we can do that is to confess our sin. After you've done that, I invite you to join me in recommitting yourself to be used by God. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Are you willing today to say, God, I know you. I've confessed you as my Savior. I've repented of my sin. I want you to be the one who controls my life. And right now, God, I'm willing to recommit my life to make all of life about you. And then ultimately, finally, Life is about relationship. In Romans chapter 12, 18, the Bible says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. God, I pray today that you will convict our heart. If there's a relationship that we can control, that we have a spirit of unforgiveness or a judgmental spirit, 
God, I pray that between us and you right now, we'll make that right. And after we leave here today, I pray you'll open up the doors for us to make that relationship right as well. God, we come before you praying for clean hands and a pure heart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? God, thank you for Jesus. And today we thank Jesus for calling us to be one with Him. To be one in the body of Christ through the blood of Jesus Christ. And thank you for reminding us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we remember we remember you until you come. So God, give us clean heart, hands and clean, pure hearts as we celebrate communion with you together now. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, you're here today in these seats and in the presence of your sanctuary and God for the life of me I can't understand that in your providence you've chosen the men and the women and the students in this room today to not just run to you as our sanctuary but to be your sanctuary in this world today. God, thank you for calling us to yourself and calling us by adopting us into your family. Thank you that we can cry out to you as our father, our daddy, and receive the fullness of your power working in our life, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. God, how I pray today that as people look at our lives today and throughout this week, they'll see lives that represent the peace and the joy and the kindness and the faithfulness and the gentleness of our living Lord and Savior. God, use us 
because we have come out of death, out of the grave, to walk in the fullness of life. Use us for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.